Amen. Thank you, Hannah and group and graduates and families. Good to have you. Take your Bibles, head toward the latter part to 1 John. That'll be just a few books before the end. 1 John. We started a brand new series last week. It'll be somewhere in the 22, 25 message range, I think, and so ish. But we'll just, we'll take breaks, and I know you'll go on vacation, and we might go on vacation, and that's okay. So whatever you need to do, you can always catch up. Thank you for all of you tuning in, by the way. It's always great to hear uh, that you're watching out there, and I appreciate your words of encouragement. We still have um, thousands and thousands of devices that tune in every week. I don't know how many people people that represents, maybe um, several tens of thousands by the time it's all multiplied out, but we appreciate you wherever you are. Those that tune into our podcast, those of you that say you have trouble sleeping at night and my sermons help you, God bless you. I'm glad that uh, I can be of service. We are on this journey talking about blessed assurance. What is real light? Because we have a world that's trying to trade light and dark, but what's real light according to the scripture? What's real love? And what is real life with Christ? I know some things kind of have gotten turned upside down, but John is going to unpack very well for us what it's really all about. And so we're going to take this journey. We're actually on a journey of joy with the real Jesus. I used a screenshot there from The Chosen. If you haven't gotten a chance to to watch that, please check that out. It's, It's excellent, about midway through season two right now. So please check out that series and, um, it's really, really very good. You can get it free. You can pay it forward and help other people to watch it. But we're talking about this real Jesus. So important to know the real Christ. And we're learning verses. Each chapter we go along, we'll learn a verse. And we need to learn 1 John 1, 9. And remember that 1 John 1, 9 is for Christians. It sounds like it might be for lost folks. But it's for us brothers and sisters in the family. So let's say this verse together. No blanks today. We'll just say it. You ready? If we can, uh, we're going to, there it is. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now look at that. If we confess our sins, that's making the assumption, Christians, that we will sin. See, being a Christian is not about being perfect, it's about being forgiven. It's a big difference. The world wants to look and sometimes judge and say, but you're supposed to be a Christian. You're not supposed to fill in the blank. The reality is we will still find ourselves struggling at times in sin, but we don't have to be slaves to sin any longer because we have been forgiven and we will continue to be forgiven in Christ. In fact, that's what I'm going to talk about today in commencement. And if you're a friend or family member who's coming to GCA commencement, I have really good news. I have a short commencement address. It's going to be great. So, but we're going to get very clear into the gospel and very clear about the forgiveness that we experience in Christ. And so that's a truth that I want us to know. We're going to go look back at the prologue. Last week we did about a 30,000-foot flyover. I'll review that quickly. But let's stand together in the honor of the reading of God's Word. And let me just read the first four verses to get those back in our heads and hearts. And the Apostle John, not John the Baptist... But one of the twelve, John says, that which was from the beginning, that kind of echoes John 1.1, in the beginning was the word. He says, we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. 
The life was manifested, and we've seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, made known to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, Koinonia, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you so that our joy, or my translation, your joy, may be full. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have spoken, you have not stuttered, you are clear. You want us to know who the real Jesus is. And so inspired by the Holy Spirit and through the pen of the Apostle John today, as we continue in this journey, I pray that it really will be a journey of joy, and it will be a journey that takes place with the real Jesus, not the Jesus made in our image, not the Jesus of imagination, but the Jesus of history, the Jesus of Scripture, the Jesus who sits at your right hand, mediating even now for each of us, the Jesus who is Lord, who is Savior who is conquering king and soon coming again. Thank you for this Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and be seated. So, last week we talked about the big picture. At the top of your grace notes, I'm not going to go back and refill all of that. We just said God is love, God is light, God is love. We said that John the Apostle wrote this around the 90 AD-ish, and it was written to Christians in and around Ephesus. That would be modern-day Turkey. Cindy and I had an opportunity to take a group to Ephesus a few years ago, and it's a beautiful city of antiquity. It was large, well-populated in its day. It had a lot of influence throughout Asia Minor. And so there were a lot of believers that would have read this letter and the subsequent letters John wrote. Remember, this John wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation, all inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by John, the elder leader, the elder statesman. He tells us in the prologue here, it's written that they could have fellowship and full joy. Later, he tells us it's written that we might not sin, that we might not continue to stumble in sin. He says it's written so that we could overcome false teachers and heretical teachings. And 1 John is written so that we can have assurance. We can know that we know that we know. Assurance of our salvation. So that brings us to today. What are some key lessons we can learn from this prologue? Let me just give you two, if I may. One, knowing the real Jesus is paramount. Knowing the real Jesus is paramount. Now, the first four verses in English look like they have some punctuation and some separation, particularly between three and four. But in reality, in Greek, that's just one long sentence. In the original language in which John wrote, we have one long thought. He echoes the words of the beginning of his gospel where he said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He talks about everything being made through the Word of God. And way down later in after the prologue of John's gospel, he says, this Word is Jesus. Well, he kind of starts the same way. He says, that which was from the beginning, we've heard, we've seen, looked upon, handled, etc. He is the word of life. Now, when he says that which was from the beginning, he could mean back in history and eternity past. Jesus was always with God, co-eternal with God. But I believe he probably means in the beginning of his earthly life or even his earthly ministry. From the very first time Jesus started becoming public, John 
who had been a follower of John the Baptist, becomes a disciple of Jesus the Christ, and he starts following Jesus. So for three and a half years, Jesus and John are tight. Jesus and John are like brothers. They're not literal brothers, but brothers in the faith. And so he becomes one of Jesus' greatest followers. He's part of that intimate three, Peter, James, and John. These guys are tight. And so he says, from then, and he's going to give us a progression. We've heard, we've seen, we've looked upon, we've touched, we've handled this word of life. John is saying this. All of you false teachers out there, let me give you the truth. You false teachers are suggesting that Jesus didn't have a physical body. You're suggesting he was some kind of angel. You're suggesting that all matter is evil and all spirit is good, and so God cannot inhabit flesh. John said, I am here to tell you again the word became flesh and tabernacle, dwelt among us. We have beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I'm here to tell you, God did come in the flesh. Jesus is fully man, but simultaneously fully God, not 50-50, 100 When you see Jesus, you see God. In fact, he says, not only did we, he says, we kind of looked from a distance. We heard him, then we saw him from a distance, but then he said, we looked upon him. Now, this is a really cool word, looked upon. Theomai. Theomai in Greek is where we actually get the word theater. We've had some students, we had a lot of engineers in this bunch, didn't we? Holy moly. And we had some drama students in our first service, several that were going on to study music and drama and the like. And I was explaining to those students that this is where we get theater. When you go to the theater, when we've watched them do the big productions here and we see the theater and and shows and things I was a part of back in the day, you look intently at that. If you're going to the theater and just kind of ah, da-da-da-da-da, then maybe you're not a fan of the theater. But when you go to the theater, you're looking intently. You're gazing upon. And John said, that's what we did to Jesus. And if that were not enough, we handled him. We touched him. John is the one in the upper room that the Bible says he leaned upon the chest of the Lord. He was so close. A lot of times when they sat at the table, they actually kind of lounged. I'll not lay down and do it, but they kind of leaned on one another and leaned on the table. They didn't use, typically did not use the types of chairs and such that we use often at the banquet setting. And so John said, I know this Jesus Quit saying he isn't this or he's just that. I know him. In fact, Jesus said of himself in the upper room after his resurrection, Behold my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as I have. And when he had spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. John's message is this. What I'm writing to you in this letter is based on solid historical reality. He knows because he was there. I could tell you some things. I could tell you about a little fellow that would follow me into the woods from two years of age. That at five, I bought him a little hunting vest. We share the same name, although he's a third and I'm a junior, but I could tell you about little Bobby climbing up into his tree and me harnessing him in at six. I could tell you about him taking a crossbow that was about as tall as he was, and when a, when a deer came in, I allowed him, with dad's help and being safe, I allowed him to take his first deer, and he's had, I guess, one or so a year every year since. 
in different method, but I could tell you about us dragging that animal out and preparing it for our family to enjoy. I could tell you about each of my girls and things that they've done. Hannah, our youngest daughter, and Holly, our middle daughter, who is, uh, has one more year at UT and, and praying through maybe law school and such. So you better pray that she finds some money somewhere. And I could tell you about our oldest daughter, Heather, and, and her husband, Parker. And did I tell you all they're moving in less than six weeks? Praise God. Um, I don't, and uh, they have a little girl. I can't think of her name. But anyway, they, um, they're all coming this way, Miss Lucy and her parents. I can tell you about the day after she graduated college. I got to walk her down the aisle in that beautiful white dress. And after walking her down, I got to turn around and I got to officiate a ceremony and I had to give her to that big ugly oaf standing beside of her. <laughs> he produces pretty grandbabies though, I'll give him credit. And I could tell you all of these things about my Heather and my Holly and my Hannah and my Bobby and I could tell you because I know them. I was there. I saw it, I gazed, I handled. John is saying to us, I know Jesus. I walked with him and talked with him and I lived life with him and he is the word of life. And he's trying to set the stage for us and say, don't listen to those who don't really know. It's funny to me that we live in a world that those who know Jesus and Christianity the least seem to bark the loudest about who and what they think we are and what we should or should not do. Well, Christians should do this, and they should not do that. And judge not, lest ye be judged. And they misunderstand about 99% of the Bible, and they think they know. John says, cut it out. I know Jesus. I walked with Jesus. And you know what? Let me give you a piece of advice. Never listen to criticism from someone that you wouldn't take advice from. Some of y'all get all bent out of shape because somebody critiqued you or criticized you. Would you listen to them for counsel? Well, if not, shut them off, Bubba. They should have no say in you. That was free today only. You can jot that down. <laughs> the reality is this. John knows Jesus, and John knows Jesus is the word of life. J. Vernon McGee, late great pastor and commentator, said, on one occasion I'd given a message, and a man whom I'd call a smart aleck came up to me with this question. You talked about eternal life. What is eternal life? I would like to know what eternal life is. So I gave him this verse, and he quoted 1 John chapter 1, verse 2. He quoted that life was manifested, and we've seen it, and we bear witness, and we declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father. Now listen to that. Eternal life was with the Father and is now manifested to us. And so McGee went on to say, you see, the eternal life that John is talking about is none other than Jesus Christ. If you want a definition, eternal life is a person, and that person is Christ. McGee told the man, you either have Christ or you don't have Christ. You either have eternal life or you don't have eternal life. If you don't trust Christ, you don't have eternal life. Now, sir, do you have eternal life? Pastor McGee said, sadly, the man walked away without answering. Break it down, friend. If you want eternal life with God, you have Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have eternal life. 
If you do have Jesus, you do have eternal life. See, eternal life is not something I'm looking forward to one day, pie in the sky by and by, right? Blue skies and butterflies with Jesus. No, no, no. It is right now, right here. The moment I said yes to Jesus, I received eternal life because I received the living Christ. And you can have eternal life too. But knowing the real Jesus is paramount. Secondly, Fellowship with God and other believers brings fullness of joy, complete joy. We can read back through this, and here we find in the last couple of verses, John again, from lesser to greater, says, We've seen and heard and declare to you that you may have fellowship with us, us true believers. And truly, our koinonia, fellowship, is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. You see, eternal and abundant life is found only in Christ. He's not only the giver of eternal life because he is that. He is the giver of abundant life because he is that. What did we learn in John 10.10? The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, more full, more complete. Jesus said, I don't want you to just have heaven one day. I want you to have joy now. So get your vertical relationship right with God. Receive Christ and have eternal life, and then you'll have your horizontal relationships better suited. You will have koinonia. He says, I want you to have fellowship with us, fellowship with God. John only uses that term four times total of 15 times. Elsewhere, it's found in the New Testament, 13 times in the writings of Paul. What is this word, koinonia? Well, it's um, a word used between a Jewish man and his wife, this idea of knowing, intimate connection, intimate fellowship. It can have that meaning, along with the word called gnosko, to know intimately. But it means a sense of commonality and unity, a joining, if you will, a uniting And he says, I want you to to have this intimate relational fellowship with God and with us. It's more Baptist than getting together eating fried chicken. That's good too, but it's not that. It's more than that. So the Lewis translation, I'd simply say it's learning to live life or do life together. It's really about Not just hitting the like button on the smartphone, not swiping left or right. It's getting to the nitty-gritty and really living your life in fellowship with God and other believers. See, the prologue concludes with John linking his own joy in spiritual welfare to his reader. He says, I want all of our joy to be full. Your joy and my joy, I want it to be full and complete. And, you know, he's concerned. Some of you guys are struggling with doubt. Some of you guys have listened to these false teachers. Some of you guys are walking in fear. Some of you guys don't understand what God's up to because you're still suffering. And so he says, I want you to reaffirm your salvation, and I want you to have joy. You remember David. Old David had sinned with Bathsheba. David had her husband killed trying to cover his tracks. David cried out before God in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Now listen, he said, God, I need you to restore unto me the joy of your salvation. So check this out. When you come to Jesus, you have union with Christ. 
Just like when you come together in a covenant with your wife or your husband, you have a union with them. But sometimes, even with a union, the communion can be shattered. Sometimes there can be a union, but lack of communion. And John is saying to some of these believers, listen, you're listening to the false voices out there. You're listening to people pouring this garbage in your head. They're killing your communion and therefore killing your joy. Nobody can snatch you from the Father's hand. Nobody can take away your faith. Nobody can take away your salvation. But they can sure rob you of joy if you let them. So we're here to have a union and a communion. Every married couple in this room knows what I'm talking about. You can have union, but sometimes your communion is strained. You can have this sense of almost feeling separate under one roof for some time. The reality is, though, John is saying, I want there to be an intimate, connected joy, to be the church, to do life together. I'm so excited about this afternoon. Last year's graduation, we were masked up and separate, and it was just moms and dads, and graduates had to sit behind me, and it was weird, and we were turning around, and, and today it's going to be full, and it's going to be glorious, and it's going to be a time of connection. And what I want for this church more than anything is for us to be able to get into the Bible with joy, us to live out the Bible in joy, to be on mission for Jesus, to be intentional with our evangelism and sharing Christ and making him known, to demonstrate a charitable spirit of time, talent, and treasure. I want us to be biblical and missional, intentional, and charitable. And I want us to do it with such a joy that people say, man, God's up to something good over there at Grace. Those people actually come out of church happy and they don't look like they've been sucking on lemons all morning. Those people have have some joy because if you feel like it's been a funeral service then nobody else out there is going to want it they don't want it I don't want a hollowness I don't want an emptiness I don't want a show I don't like shows you can go to the show I want to be the church I want to live on mission with Christ David knew joy even though at times it waned he said Psalm 1 Psalm 16 11, in thy presence O God is fullness of joy. Let me start closing with a couple of key truths. Christianity is not founded on speculation, but historical events and an actual person. And fellowship with God and other Christians must be based on an understanding of who the real Jesus is. Now, I know what some of you may think. Some of you may say, yeah, Bobby, but here's the deal. John lived with Jesus. John saw Jesus with his own eyes. John touched Jesus with his own hands. We don't get that. If I could just see Jesus, I'd be okay. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Because John saw Jesus at times, and he still got scared and ran away. John had communication with Jesus, but when Jesus was in the flesh, he couldn't be everywhere at one time. And so when John would walk away and get distant from Jesus, there was a separation. The Bible says Jesus can be as close as your right hand. Jesus can live within by his spirit as a Christian. Jesus can be closer to you than he ever was with John prior to Pentecost. He can be closer to you and to me. And you have the full revelation of God here in written form so you can go back and hear the words of the Lord over and over and over. And think about this. Guys like Thomas, he missed it the first time Jesus appeared. And he came back to the upper room where the Jews were gathered, they were at, where the followers of Christ were, were gathered for fear of the Jews. And he was like, oh man, I miss Jesus. He said, I can't believe in him that he's alive until I see him. Until I put my hands in the nail-scarred hands, until I handle him, touch him. So what happened? Well, at the end of John's gospel, John chapter 20, 
Jesus came back. He stood in their midst. He said, peace to you. Then he looks at Thomas and he says, hey, Thomas, reach your finger right here. Touch my hands. Reach right here. Put it into my side. And he said, don't be unbelieving, but believing. And so then Thomas is like, oh, my Lord and my God, I saw, I believed. Jesus said, Thomas, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. See, folks, according to the Bible, we have eyes of faith. We, we look through with faith. We believe by faith. And you say, yeah, 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 yeah. But that's just, bl that's blind. That's just blind. You're just trusting. Listen, you believe in a whole lot of things you don't see. We all do. Most of you believe you have a brain, but I doubt you've ever seen it. The reality is, we all tend to believe in things we haven't really seen. We all tend to put faith in things we don't fully understand. And yet, we have more evidence to the historical Christ than any other figure in all of antiquity. We have evidence of thousands and millions and even billions of people the world over whose lives has been, have been radically reoriented, who had been totally transformed by the living Savior. I am not the man I was uh, 27 years ago in my BC days. I promise you, I am not the man I was to the glory of God. I'm not yet the man I'm going to be, but I'm on the journey. It's a journey of joy. Because I'm knowing that the real Jesus is paramount first. And I understand that fellowship with God and other believers brings fullness of joy. Let, let me close out with something that uh, Warren Wiersbe had talked about. He was comparing a counterfeit Christian and a counterfeit $20 bill. I didn't want the FBI to come knocking at my door today. So there's a counterfeit 20 Would you agree that's a counterfeit? Pretty counterfeit, right? But for the sake of the illustration, let's pretend for a minute. War, War, Warren Wiersbe was talking about it like this. He said, imagine that you get a 20 and you, you think it's genuine, right? So you go and you pay for a tank of gas. He said a tank of gas. I laughed. <laughs> no. In my truck, that's not even a quarter tank of gas anymore. So you pay for some gas, right? And then the gas station manager used the bills to pay for some supplies, and then the supplier to the gas station manager, that guy goes and uses it to buy some groceries at the grocery store. So you have this bill, counterfeit though it is, being passed around the hands of those who don't know any better. But then the grocer bundles this with 49 other $20 bills and a stack for a $1,000 bundle. He takes it to his banker. And the banker does what bankers do. And he sorts and looks. And all of a sudden he comes to this bill and he says, uh-oh. Can't give you credit for that bill. And the supplier says, well, 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 wait a minute. Or the grocer says, wait a minute. I, I, I got that from a, a supplier, and he used it to buy some of my groceries. And the supplier could say, well, well wait a minute. I, I got that from a guy who, who paid for gas. And they could all argue that bill did some good things while it was in circulation. But the banker says, I don't care. You see, that bill is not backed by the authority of the government of the United States of America. And unless it is printed and backed by that authority, that bill has no worth, though it may have indeed done some good things. And I think we begin to see this come together when we think that there are some good people in the world. 
doing some mighty fine things. But the reality is all of us will stand one day before one who has a keener eye than any banker. And some will say, Lord, Lord, I did all of these things in your name. Lord, look at what I've done. And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. So I want to make sure we're clear today. Are you the real deal? Or could you possibly be a counterfeit Christian? You say, well, how do I know? Well, do you know the real Jesus? Have you said yes to the real Christ, the Christ of Scripture, the Christ of real history? Have you trusted him? If you have, then you are my brother and my sister. And if you have not, your goodness won't get you there because you'll stand before God one day. And just like that banker, counterfeits are taken out of circulation. And what I want for you is to know the real Savior. I want you to walk with the real Savior. I want you to know what being a Christian is really like. I want you to have an experience like the young lady I mentioned earlier that said yes to Jesus. And the burden and weight was lifted. You see, you say, am I a true child of God? Well, do you believe Jesus is God? Do you believe he lived a perfect life though he was tempted? Do you believe that he went to the cross willingly and he became a sacrifice there for your sin and for mine? Do you believe that he shed his blood and by his blood you're not merely covered, you are cleansed of all unrighteousness? Do you believe that God the Son was buried and raised by the power of God the third day? Do you believe he is the only way to heaven? And do you believe that he is your Lord and Savior? If you said yes, then have you told him? If you have, you've believed in your heart, you've confessed with your mouth, then you are a child of God. If you haven't, you're a counterfeit. And you don't have life. But I want you to. And all you have to do today is say, yes, I believe. I trust. And I want to start my own journey of joy with the real Jesus. Stand with me this morning. Guys, it's not complicated. I promise you. There'll be pastors standing here at the stairs. Some of you need to give your life to Christ. Miss Cindy and I will be waiting at the conclusion of the service. When the invitation continues, we'll be ready to receive you. We were able to pray and share with several last hour. There'll be other counselors available, men and women. Some of you need to come give your life to Christ. Some of you need to come back. You have a union with Christ, but you don't have great communion today. You haven't lost your salvation, friend, but you've lost your joy. You need to come and give it to the Lord. You can just come and lay it before God. Some of you need to come and say, I'm ready to be a part of this church. I like what God's doing at this church. Let us take you to the next level and tell you what's next about being a part of grace. Some of you just want to come and pray. Maybe you want to pray for these graduates. Maybe you, maybe you want to pray for something else. Some of you may have freedom for the future cards. You want to drop those off. That's between you and the Lord. You can do whatever God leads you to do. But I'll tell you right now, you will make a decision in the next 30 seconds to two minutes. You're going to make a decision. What's it going to be? If you know and love Jesus and you're walking in joy, how about being a prayer warrior with me? 
I'm going to bow down right over there because I don't believe in manipulating people. And I'm going to be praying earnestly for you. I'm going to be praying earnestly for everybody God's been speaking to here and out there, now and later, because God knows who you are, where you are, what you're doing, what you're thinking. And I'm going to pray that God will grip your heart so that you can't make another decision without saying yes to Jesus. So if you love Jesus too, you can join me in that prayer. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you, Jesus, for coming to this earth. We thank you for paying the price we could have never paid. We thank you, precious Holy Spirit, for living in all of us who have said yes to Christ. Move in these final minutes of the service we have together right now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The altar's open. It's your time.